Hey, hey, Poddutians. Welcome to DDG episode number 43. First podcast I've done on this channel here in at least two months, probably closer to four months, to be honest with everyone, at least to attempt to be completely honest with everyone. Um, I'm going to do everything in my power to not just spend this entire uh, podcast complaining. Um, so I'm going to unnaturally insert random stuff that uh, I either came across on the internet or uh, done in the last couple of weeks that don't relate to other shows, um, just to try to make it a non, to keep it from being a non-stop complaint of fest, is the way I'll put it. So I'm going to start out complaining. Um, it's been now nine months, basically, since I've basically every day been in pain. Um, started to go to the doctor finally back in July, right around July 4th. Had multiple MRIs, multiple x-rays. Um, for some reason they stopped physical therapy. Um, but I'm not a doctor, so I don't, I don't know why. Um, they say I have, uh, calcific tendonitis in both shoulders, spondinosis, spondinosis in my neck and rotator tendonitis, at least in my left shoulder. Um, all of that said, none of it is severe. None of it is like extreme, like horrible, uh, cases of it. They all were either mild or almost moderate kind of terminology. Um, so the long and the short of it is they don't really know why I'm in as much pain as I'm in. And I tried to explain to them, it's not that I'm in great pain, it just never stops. And when I say it never stops, of course, there are moments when it stops, but they're very few and far between. And it's not like I can figure out what makes them not hurt. Um, I take whatever in, uh, regular like stuff you can get in the store, pain medication. It does literally nothing for the pain. Um, the doctor, the last time I went in, told me, my orthopedist told me to ice the hell out of it. Um, if I ice it like five hours out of the day, it doesn't hurt that much. But literally, in like 20-minute increments, I ice it like 15 times. Um, so really, I can't do anything else during the day except for that. Uh, that's my excuse for not being able to podcast as much as I would like to podcast here recently. Uh, now, I will say I'm going to put the last findings of my MRI basically right in the show notes. So if you know of an orthopedist and if they want to look at it, fine. Uh, but I don't know what it's going to say to anybody, you know, except my doctor like politely like looks over his glasses at me and he just looks like he's going to tell me any second. Stop being a wussy. Um, okay. Uh, extreme tangent, number one, um, Microsoft is warning people to, uh, not use, uh, two-factor authentication that involves a phone number, and they should. Okay, anybody who knows anything about security should know what is called simjacking, uh, is actually very easy to do. Extremely easy to do. It's been extremely easy to do for a decade. It's just becoming more popular because people are using stuff like two-factor authentication via phone number, which makes it more desirable to simjack. What SIM jacking is, is basically somebody rerouting your wireless provider's uh, phone number from your phone, from your uh, IEMI, I believe it is, the identifier, into theirs. So, quite literally, they redirect the traffic from your phone carrier to their phone. They go to Google or Microsoft or wherever they go to log in, and instead of you getting the four-digit code, they get the four-digit code. Um, so, if you are using... Two-factor authentication involving your cell phone mobile number. I highly encourage you to do everything in your power to get it off that phone number. Uh, I currently have one of mine going through one of my Google Voice numbers, uh, which I don't know why, but I feel like it's a touch more secure uh, because it's strictly password-based. 
uh, no phone company involved to be able to hijack that thread. Uh, another like random thing I want to uh, just talk about somewhere uh, is I found there's basically three uh, websites I'm liking to go on a daily basis to get my, in air quotes, news. I will not be on social media getting my news, uh, nor do I believe any one institution to provide me my news, nor do I want to believe one party to give me my news, nor do I want to allow just one group to give me my news. Um, I'm a firm believer in lateral searching everything now, uh, which makes everything more time-consuming, but I feel much more confident about what I know, is the way I'll put it. Um, I still love humanprogress.org uh, when all you want is, in air quotes, good news. Uh, but I will say there is another network called goodnewsnetwork.org, which I'm finding uh, at least uh, interesting in the type of articles that they uh, have on their website. And the other one I'm going to throw in here is called Ground News. Um, now, in the past, I brought up a media bias fact check, uh, which was basically a website that would allow you to put in other websites. And then it told you what other third-party people were telling about that second-party website. Is the is the place you entered right bias, left bias, insanely right bias, insanely left bias? Is it centered? And none of them were the truth. But the truth was always somewhere in the middle. For instance, if nine people said this place is right bias and two said that they were centered and no one said they were left, well, that's pretty obvious they probably do lean to the right. If you had 30 people say they're right biased and 30 people say they're left biased, well, then they're probably somewhere closer to the middle, is my logic. Is that logic absolute and unvarnished and perfect? Hell no. But it at least gives me an idea of where to like, start to look at things and think of things. Um, now, in that same manner, there's this other site called ground.news. And ground.news kind of does things a little bit differently. Instead of you giving it websites to say, what do you think of this website's news? Instead, it shows you one story. And then when you click that like one story, it shows you all the different news sites and how they reported it. Far left, left, lean left, center, lean right, right, or far right. Now, does that mean that they're actually far left or lean right? No, that just means that these people perceive them to be that. Um, so quite literally, the more popular the story the more interesting to where you can say, let me click on far right and see how they report it. Let me click on far right, um, far left to see how they report it. And then let me click on center and see how they report it and rock what each person thinks is important about the story. I find this site to be incredibly eye-opening just so I could see what other people are saying about a very particular story. There is a paid feature that I have not jumped on yet. I might jump on it. I'm not sure I'm going to jump on it. I might jump on it. I don't know if I'm going to jump on it, but I might. Um, next thing is I'm also not going to be podcasting all next week. Uh, today is the November the 19th, uh, and literally at my time, it's right 5 o'clock in the afternoon. I've never podcasted this early. I'm partially podcasting this early because it does seem like earlier in the day it hurts less. Uh, but still, no matter what, first thing in the morning when I get up, it already hurts. Uh, another weird thing is it doesn't matter if I lay on my right shoulder, my stomach, my back, or my left shoulder. My left shoulder hurts just as much. Or I would have sworn leaning on the left shoulder would definitely make the left shoulder hurt more. But hey, more tangents. Uh, Harley Davidson is one of those companies that I think is trying to do a genuine pivot. Um, when I say this, what I mean is you have certain companies that literally just uh, move too slow, pivot too slow, can't keep up, and they cannot 
um, you know, uh, keep up with the times kind of thing, you know, like get out of my way, old man kind of mentality. Because, like, back in the day, Harley was the old, rugged, dirty um, grifter always going around, uh, you know, beating people up, selling drugs, yada, 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 on his Harley Davidson. Harley then pivoted to be the yuppie on the weekend $40,000 motorcycle. But now they're literally coming out with electric bikes, electric pedal bikes called Serial One Cycle. Uh, they look un- they look remarkably un harley like is the way i'll put it they literally look like um like action mountain bikes uh to a degree they look remarkably light for being electric powered uh, of course they're expensive everything with the name harley on it is expensive but i am genuinely impressed at how these look um they look shockingly respectful is the way i'll put it um of course they're expensive again the low price is three thousand three hundred dollars um but you know it's only uh 48 pounds with an estimated 35 to 105 mile range, of course, depending on how you treat it, how much you pedal, yada, yada, yada. But uh, unbelievably shocked and impressed at how well these looks. Um, and if you check them out, I definitely would like to know what you think of them. Uh, I'm not going to buy one. I'm never going to spend that much money on a pedal electric bike. But I think it's cool that the option exists. Okay, um, and I'll say the last time I went to the doctor, when I left the doctors, uh, my wife asked me how it went. She asked what I said. And then she got really mad at me. Because she said, uh, well, why don't you tell them that you cry every night? And I like, uh, what? She said, yeah, almost every night you wake me up with your crying. Uh, what? She said, every night you wake up, you wake me up crying. And then I push you and then you stop crying. And I said, I had, I'm guessing I'm crying in my sleep. I don't know. Of course, she didn't believe me. She just thinks I didn't want to say it to the doctor. But I'm pretty sure, I believe my wife, uh, that I literally am getting, like, so sick and tired of it in the middle of the night. I just am, like, crying in my sleep and waking her up, which I think is the weirdest thing I've ever heard uh, before. Speaking of weird things I've never heard before, or when I say my kids never heard before, I subjected my kids to Randy of the Redwoods, Just Say Whoa. And if you don't know what any of that is, I cannot encourage you more. You need to check out the link in the notes to go check out Randy of the Redwoods. It's spelled R-A-N-D-E-E. Uh, and it's an old MTV um, PSA trying to encourage kids to get out and vote, which, of course, we know now in hindsight, kids never come out and vote for anything. Um, my son was literally like blown away at he, what he determined to be insanity like recording just pure insanity and i agree it's definitely at least mildly insane but hey that's how the late 80s i believe it was uh was at least mildly insane okay next uh there's gonna be two links in the notes and i know i said this in the past but it's really hard for me to like completely describe like um i believe if i had to describe myself in as few words as possible it would be i'm a non-absolutionist you know is a vaccine 100%? No. You know, can anyone define the word Democrat and every Democrat agree? No. Can anyone define the word Republican and have every Republican agree? No. Uh, life is gray. There is very few things that are absolute black and absolute white. Now, with that said, to paraphrase of all people, all of a sudden, Arsenio Hall, which no disrespect to Arsenio Hall. Seems like a really nice guy, but of all people to all of a sudden randomly paraphrase things that make you say, hmm, I really do like things that make me shut my mouth 
and think because no one learns anything by talking except what you don't know. And no, that's not the quote I'm talking about. But when you talk, you learn nothing. When you listen is when you learn. So I try to shut up more often than not. Okay. Um, here's two quotes. The first one I'm going to bring is by John Adams. I believe this is real is what I'm going to say. With all both of these quotes, I'm going to believe they're real. Um, and they're not absolute truths, but I do believe they at least warrant to, for people to shut up and just sit down and listen and think. Okay. First quote, John Adams says, if a person is not liberal when he is 20, he has no heart. If he is not a conservative when he is 40, he has no head. Or if my son is not liberal when he is 20, I will disavow him. If he is not a conservative when he is 40, I will disavow him. And other variants, I'm sure. Now, the question is, which one of these is right? And I'll say this, there's some arguments which one of these quotes is right. But either of them, I think, warrant at least some thought process involved. Um, I do believe that when someone is younger, they should be willing to be more open, free. When people are older, that's when you're naturally more conservative, more restrictive. And the example I'll use is in the stock market, okay? Any investor worth his weight in anything will tell you if you're 20 and investing, you go for far more open things, more dangerous things, things with higher rewards. When you're closer to retirement, you go for much more conservative, much more uh, equitable, much more known things. That's just how you do it. Maybe in our thought processes, some of us do the same thing without even knowing it. I don't know, but at least it made me shut my mouth and stop and think for a little bit. You know, the second quote I know for an absolute fact is an accurate verbatim quote. And this quote is from uh, Milton Friedman, who I'm not going to go into details who he is. I'll just say like this. He's a Nobel Prize winning economist who I think paraphrased a lot of things that Adam Smith said, you know, 200 years earlier, but just in a more eloquent fashion. If you don't know who Adam Smith is, what that just, that made no sense. I'll just put it like this. He's a really smart fella who was all like five foot two, but when he stood upon a stage and stood behind a podium, he demanded everyone's attention for a good reason. He was pretty smart and pretty well-spoken. Okay. Here's the, here is Milton Friedman's quote. I do not believe that the solution to our problem is simply to elect the right people. The important thing is to establish a political climate of opinion, which will make it politically profitable for the wrong people to do the right thing. Unless it is politically profitable for the wrong people to do the right thing, the right people will not do the right thing either. Or it they try, they will be shortly out of office. End of quote. I believe that quote is unbelievably accurate. And the only frame of reference I have is, and I can't remember who it was, but years ago, I remember looking at a thing that showed presidential running races, people promising things during those races, and then the rate of things being completed. And the gimmick was, if they promised something and didn't do it in the first hundred days, the likelihood they would do it is near zero. Okay. Because by the time they get into office for a hundred days, then they're in the system and they will not do what is, you know, right by the party, right by the voter, but they'll only do what is right, what is politically profitable in the current climate that they are in, not for the voters. So I believe. Both of those quotes are quotes that at least make me shut my mouth, stop and think what is right, what is could be wrong, 
What is the solution? What is possibly not a solution? Are any of them absolute? Hell no. So yeah, this next coming week from the 22nd through the 28th, I believe it is, I'm not going to be doing any podcasting. I'm going to be out of town. Now, I don't know if it's stupid or I don't know if it's genius, but you know, whatever. Um, My wife has had plans for, I want to say over a year, and she's had paid off since January, a week-long trip to Disney World in Florida. I will say I've been very aware of the numbers for all the important factors. Number of tests given, number of positive results, number of positive results versus 100,000, number of deaths, number of hospitalizations, number of severe hospitalizations, number of severe hospitalizations per 100,000 for my state, my county, my surrounding counties, and Florida, Orange County, and surrounding counties. So by going from here to going from there, we're not in any great risk compared to here. So we're going to do it. And it doesn't matter what I say. The wife said we're not canceling, so we're not canceling. So we're going to try to do the right thing either way. And where I say is we go, we try to enjoy ourselves. The day we get back, we go get tested. Ten days later, we go get tested again. Um, the, and I know what I know. And what I know is we're not going to probably get it if we do get the Rona. We're not going to get it anywhere in Walt Disney World. We're also not going to get it anywhere on the plane ride, which is a two-hour plane ride, uh, from here to there or there to here. And because of the 19, I want to say now, but I can't remember, 68, 78 pandemic, where it was really a bad flu. Uh, because of what happened back then, airplane regulations said that you have to exchange the entire cockpit of the air every like three minutes or six minutes, which means it's really difficult for something to be uh, caught on those kind of planes. But if we're going to catch anything anywhere, it's going to be inside the individual airports. It's because if there is somebody who works there or somebody who is there who is contagious and doesn't know it, they're going to be there for hours. And if they work there, they're going to be there for many hours, which will increase the viral load in the inverse square law around them a great deal, which means when we're there, we should only try to be closer to people who have not been there as long is the logic. And it's one of those things, it's really hard to know that. So we're just going to probably do our best to do our due diligence. And we're just going to, you know, try to enjoy the vacation. Um, in hindsight, I do believe to at least some degree, it's going to be safer for my family to go there for a week and come back rather than hang out with more family members than we've hung out with for almost a year uh, in the normal Thanksgiving atmosphere. So it's one of those things, you know, potato, potato, um, rock, paper, scissors. You just got to, you know, just once in a while, just do it. And we're going to see what happens is the logic. Um, am I worried? Oh, yeah. Am I stressed? Oh, yeah. Do I have to try to make sure that my kids and my wife don't see it? Yeah, because once my wife says something is something, then something is something. And I better not object because not only is she clearly smarter than me, uh, but she makes more money than me. and to be honest, um, in a lot of ways, she's more respectable than me. So I know I'm, I'm, I'm wrong a lot in my life. So, you know, you got to, in, in air quotes, pick your battles. She picked this battle a long time ago, so I'm not going to argue with it. Now that it's 6.30, because I've had to stop so many times, let's see if we can find something else I consider to be cool. Yeah, here's another website. I'll just put it like this. I found incredibly 
insightful. I'm not going to say it's perfect, but I'm going to say it's incredibly insightful. USAFacts.org slash COVID dash recovery dash hub. And what this is an attempt at is the best way I can put it. It's an attempt at looking at raw numbers, trends, and historical algorithms to try to determine where are we at right now. And by we, I mean, you can say any individual state in the United States or as a nation, and it will give you measurements on new COVID cases, new COVID deaths, unemployment claims, S&P 500, air travel passengers, food scarcity, personal income, household spending, federal government spending, federal reserve assets, and state tax revenue, and trying to put pins on the board of how good or how bad are we doing. And you can pick any individual state or the nation as a whole, and you can see where we're at versus where we were at, and you can see what they determine, what is better, what is worse, and where we're at now. For instance, new COVID cases in the state of Maryland, it says uh, 1.9 thousand uh, per day, which is incredibly bad. Um, and it's been ramping up for at least, let me see, and we try to go back and say October 28th from today, which is at least two weeks back. And that was my goal, to go at least two weeks back. But if you take a look at the new COVID deaths, we're only at 14.3, uh, which is not an extreme up uptick. The long and the short of it is, while yes, cases are going up incredibly here in the state of Maryland, deaths seem to not be. Um, now, what I'll say is, by doing my digging, I think part of the reason for that is we have 20 to 29-year-olds who are the extreme mass number of people who are getting infected. They're not going to emergency rooms. They're not going to ICUs, but they're getting infected. Um, if I had to guess, they're the people who are doing a lot of super spreading, but they're not like being dramatically affected by it. And I say that trying to use my words very carefully, okay, because that we know of. You know, we don't know if it could be worse. And there is more data, I just noticed, in these graphs, including retail sales and housing insecurity and uh, how much are people saving federal deficit. And I think there's at least a couple more columns here. They're just a little bit hidden. Um, so if you just are a sucker for numbers, if you're the guy who likes making spreadsheets in order to try to figure out, you know, how everything's going, I personally think this usafacts.org is a good site. And I'll say it like this. I stumbled across this website a third-party way, but I remember now, I actually heard about this website advertising on, I want to say it was a Wall Street Journal podcast, and here's the thing, a third of the things that I ever heard advertised on that podcast went directly opposed to what I perceived the people on the podcast believed. So it's almost like, I think the right word is doping, where they're doping the audience of such a show. It'd be almost like advertising globes at a flat earther conference. Now, I could be wrong when I say that, but that's at least what I perceive. And as we all know, perception is reality to us. Maybe not to everybody else, but to us. Next, I'm going to put a link in the notes that I will just put like this. If anybody clicks it and anybody watches it, you're going to incredibly be polarized one way or the other. And the goal of this video for me sharing is for you to become polarized one way or the other, okay? It's entitled, Frank Sinatra Explains to Kids Why Racism is Wrong, okay? And this is a perfect example of why we should not 
impose our current norms from society on people in the past in an unjust manner. I said that very slowly. I said that as slowly as I could possibly say it. We should not look at people upon our past through the lens of today's decencies and morals and ethics. Because when we do, we bend them, people in the past, to a status that they cannot possibly adhere to. Okay? The long and the short of it is this is a PSA. Uh, when Frank was, I have no problem in saying this, unbelievably handsome. Oh my goodness, I watched this PSA, and half the time I'm thinking how attractive this guy is. I had to watch it like three or four times to actually hear the words that were going on. But it's a perfect example of how somebody was trying to do what they perceived as being their best to explain to kids why you shouldn't hate somebody because of religion, okay? You're not supposed to hate people because of your religion. You know, that's supposed to be one of those things that we all can practice in the sanctity of our own house or our own house of worship. Or if you're, as far as I'm concerned, a anti-theist, you don't do such a thing. No kid should hate you if you do or don't do those things. No human should hate you whether you do or do not do those things based upon what they believe is being right. But then you watch this video and he says some incredibly racist things. Why? Because back in the time when this was filmed, I believe this was right like during after World War II's main events. And it was normal, in air quotes, for the normal American to not like people of certain nationalities, people of certain regions, whether it was a Japanese person or a Russian person or whatever. So if someone would look at this and call him a racist for saying what he said, you don't understand the history of how it set foot. And here's the other example I'm going to use. And this is the kind of thing where if I say this and it really upsets you, I beg you to just don't send me an email, okay? If someone owned slaves, it didn't mean that they were a diehard racist. There are many occurrences of the slaves being set free and the slaveholders going to the slaves, explaining to them that they're free, verbatim, going through the proclamation that set them free, and then saying to those slaves, now let's open up my whiskey reserves, let's have an all-night party, and tomorrow we're going to talk about what to do next. And let's say there were many slaves that the following day said, I will continue to work for you instead now for a pay. Um, I firmly believe near the end, there was at least a fair number of people who owned slaves. They owned slaves because it was only, it was accepted, it was expected, and it was how they could compete with their local other person. And when it became, you know, not legal to own slaves, they nearly rejoiced in the fact. And they literally knew that they were getting rich off of these cultures. Dare I say a culture of appropriation. And they literally said, let me share the wealth. Now, did they share everything? No, of course not. Did they at least try? It seems like there were more than a couple that did. And I can say that because I had family members that owned slaves. And I read what happened when the slaves were set free. And there's more than a couple of them who said, let you reap the rewards that I have reaped for so long. Let's both partake in such a thing. Was it popular? Did it happen everywhere? No, no. There were definitely incredibly racist people then, just like there are today. Nothing has changed but the weather when it comes to people's beliefs in those kinds of things. But the thing is, if you take a look from 200 years in the future to today, 
you don't want somebody saying, you used to drive a gas automobile in 2020. You are obviously an anti-environmentalist. No, that's not completely true. I know plenty of people who literally use a gas automobile because they can't afford something else. Or it's just incredibly inconvenient to do the other thing, uh, to get a low mileage battery kind of thing or to use a pedal bike or something else. It's not always easy to say what someone is from a distance. Uh, I try not to judge. I try to explain to my kids why they shouldn't judge. I try to like surround myself with people who I at least believe judge gingerly, judge lightly, um, because no one's perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. And I keep trying to tell my kids, like, uh, we were over at a family member's house, and the one family member said, why would I take the flu vaccine? It doesn't work. And then I just turned to my youngest child, who's 11 years old, and I said, hey, what's perfect? And he looked up from his Nintendo Switch Lite with a look of disgust on his face. And he said, nothing's perfect. If you expect perfection in anything in your life, be prepared for a life of disappointment. That's what I believe. And the person who said the flu vaccine isn't 100% shut their mouth. Just shut it. Because if you expect perfection, yes, you're going to be completely di- di- disappointed. Um, The only last thing I'll say is I am extremely biased about certain things. I try to admit it. I try to admit it. I try to acknowledge it. And I try to defend myself against being blind, overly blind about my bias. And my bias comes from really liking people like Carl Sagan, James Burke, um, Beekman's World, all those kinds of things in the past where I'm, I am definitely pro-science. But the real reason that I believe that I'm pro-science is I've never in my life heard of an organization, a clique, a government, a community, a civilization, a guild, a government, a political party. I've never heard of anything in my life that welcomes detractors, okay? that welcomes people to prove them wrong, that welcomes people to say with evidence how someone was mistaken. And what I mean is there's no greater way to win the number one science prize in the world, but then to prove Albert Einstein wrong, to prove Stephen Hawking's wrong, to prove another great science figure wrong, you will win a prize in science and money. Everything else in the history of the world, if you step into an ecosystem and prove that party wrong, that ecosystem wrong, that civilization wrong, that culture wrong, that religion wrong or whatever, you will be executed swiftly. And anything that you brought to show them they were wrong will quickly be buried or burned along with your body. I like science because science welcomes corrections. Um, political parties don't welcome being told they were wrong. Uh, most cultures don't like being told they're wrong. I don't know of a religion that, that likes being proven that they're wrong. Um, in fact, all of those other things require a certain amount of blind faith. They require you to shut your mouth, do not question, and just believe and move forward. Whether it is, my political party is right, your political party is wrong. My religion is right, your religion is wrong. My nationalism is right, your nationalism is wrong. My heritage is absolutely right, and your heritage is stained and putrefied. Where science basically enjoys when things are wrong. Um, I think that's the real reason why I'm drawn towards a more science-based what I consider to be a fact-based belief. Now, with that said, when I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. Um, 
we we in the uh, skeptical world, we in the science-based world, we lost what I consider to be one of the most genuine, nicest guys ever um, in our ecosystem. Now, let me just rewind a bit. Okay, We had people in the skeptical world when they didn't even know what's called the skeptical world, like Harry Houdini. Uh, a lot of people think Harry Houdini as a debunker. Harry Houdini was not a debunker, okay? Harry Houdini would go around, do magic tricks, and he wanted to see if he could prove spiritualism was right or wrong, partially because he worried about the ability to communicate with his wife if she died first or he died first. So he wanted to see if he could come to an answer, okay? Um, long and the short of it is, uh, one, I believe his wife died first, and no, no, he died first, and then for years his wife kept trying to communicate with him and was never successful. Um, and then we have more modern version of that, and that is the amazing Randy. There is a documentary out there called An Honest Liar, where they go through a lot of James Randy's life. Definitely, they focus on the later years because they were more, I don't want to say politically correct, but they were more uh, modern day politically inspirational, is what I'll say. Uh, but I digress. They do start at the fact that he was a kid with incredible intrigue, incredible um, just imagination, and incredible desire for knowledge. And when he turned, I want to say it was 15, he left his house and never once went home again. Uh, he decided at that age he would be his own man, which is not something a lot of people do. He did. Okay? He basically joined the circus uh, as a magic act, um, learned the trade, and then it came to a fork in his life where someone basically was asking him to lie to him. Like, can you communicate with the dead kind of thing? And where he knew he could say yes, make really easy money, and ride the rest of his life out just, you know, manipulating people and telling them what he considered to be lies. Or he could try to be a truth seeker and do the opposite. Now, he was on a lot of shows in the late 60s and 70s where he was the amazing Randy, and what he did was debunk people. Uh, he would show how people like Yuri Geller uh, the guy who could bend spoons was easily proven that anyone could do it. Uh, he did the same thing with a whole bunch of different type of people, whether it was people who could move things with their mind, people who could communicate with the dead, doing cold readings or other stuff, uh, people who could degauss. Then he finally opened up a foundation called the JREF, James Randi Educational Foundation, where he would put money, monetary prizes, if you could prove anything in the supernatural existed, whether it is you could talk to dead, telekinesis, telepathy, anything, and the money value kept going up and up and up and up. And the rule was you had to prove to a party of third-party people with agreed-upon rules that what you could do was real. The, for instance, was people who could, the gals, they literally had built a football field-sized thing with pipes underneath with water in them under a certain pattern, and you had to spot 10 places where there was water, and if you got greater than four, uh, greater than three right, you won the prize. Because just sheer luck, odds, 50-50 odds, you would get three right out of ten, and no one could ever win any of the prizes he ever set forth. Um, he passed away, uh, now it was like three weeks ago. Um, he was also a guy who would go on stage doing things like um, uh, eat an entire bottle of homeopathic sleeping aids, because homeopathy means BS. Uh, not real, complete balderdash uh, things. If you see anything homeopathic, medicine, you can take the whole bottle. Nothing's going to ever happen to you because there's nothing there. It's all just garbage and junk. But it is on American shelves right next to real medicines. So it's really hard to identify it. Watching a lot of James Randi throughout the years, it made me become at least a questionnaire. Someone who just sits back and questions things. Um, 
I never want to proclaim I'm right about something without having immense evidence. And I'll paraphrase one of Carl Sagan's quotes. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. So if you want to claim something very small, very tiny, you only need a little bit of evidence to convince someone like myself. But if you have extraordinary claims or something I at least perceive to be extraordinary claims, and you do not have extraordinary evidence, I, for one, will not just blindly follow you. At least, that's what I keep telling myself. Uh, I always have to check myself and check things that I think, feel, and believe against other people um, in the community and my family kind of thing, just to see what other people think, because um, everyone is flawed. We are born flawed. We are going to die flawed, and there's no getting around it. Um, Yeah, I literally have like 50 more links in my notes. And one of them, the only one thing I wanted to comment on real quick was the social dilemma. Okay. The social dilemma was a very hip thing to watch, um, like a month and a half ago, whatever. It was on Netflix. Uh, and it proclaimed about how everybody controlling social media is so evil, so manipulative, so bad, so this, so that. Um, and all I can say is what a bunch of easily debunkable crap. Um, the long and the short of it is. If you listen to a podcast like The Pessimist Archived, every single thing, every single thing, every single thing that those people stated as fact in The Social Dilemma, first off, everything they stated as fact was only like 2% of everything they said. Everything else was feelings and beliefs, not facts, just feelings and beliefs. I feel like they're doing this. I believe they're doing that. They never provided facts, okay? And the facts that they did say were the exact same things that people said X number of years ago about television, and then X number of years ago about radio, and then X number of years ago about telegram, and then X number of years ago about the printing press, for God's sake, and then X number of years ago about song, okay? You, if you blame the media, the medium, sorry, you're incompetent, okay? It's just like the people who complain about screen time and kids. If you think you can simplify a problem down to a couple words like screen time, I have no problem telling you you're an idiot. It's like saying, well, the problem is rock and roll, and we have to stop rock and roll. You really? You really think the problem is screen time? It isn't like what they're looking at? Like, the problem isn't rock and roll. Maybe the fact that, you know, they're doing all these illicit drugs, well, isn't rock and roll. Or maybe the problem isn't TV. Maybe the problem is all the advertising that goes along with TV. Maybe the problem isn't radio. Maybe the problem isn't newspaper. Maybe the problem isn't Gutenberg Press. Maybe the problem isn't social media. Maybe the problem is the idiots that are on it. Dramatic pause. I don't know. I've been wrong a lot. But listen, all Mark wants to do, all Twitter wants to do, all anything wants to do is just to survive and make a couple bucks. To try to put some malicious and ill intent behind the fact they just want to make money is simply creating a complete facade for your own convenience. There's no such thing as pure blissfully good. There's nothing that is pure monotically evil. Everything is again in the middle, including this. It's now seven o'clock at night. I'm starting to get in a lot of pain, so I'm going to disconnect. I want to thank everyone for their support. I want to thank everyone for their patience. Uh, we actually did have a brand new uh, Patreon supporter. I want to say thank you to Phil Eastwood. Uh, Anyone who wants to support us on Patreon, it's super easy. Patreon.com slash Android App Addicts slash the mini PC show or slash Podnuts. 
and you can support us just like we try to do our best to support you. Take it easy, everybody. Bye.